For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks, the Gentiles, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews is stumbling block. Unto the Gentiles, foolishness. Unto them which are called, both Jews and Gentiles. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. We don't often think of God as having any connection with foolishness or with weakness, but today... We learn that God has his own ways of foolishness and weakness. So let's join Dr. Mitchell to find out what they are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Good day, friends. Again, we welcome you. An opportunity for us to sit together and study the Word of God together and gaze upon our wonderful Savior. We'll be dealing with a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's pretty tough on the human heart and the human mind where we read that the wisdom of God is far stronger, far richer, far superior to the wisdom of men. Remember in verse 21 we read, after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We were discussing this in our last lesson. We've been dealing with the power of the cross in verses 17 to 21. And I don't mind repeating some of the things at the beginning of our lesson because there are many who miss some of the programs, some just listening in for the first time. We want to catch up the connection where the Apostle Paul is talking shall I say, I'm rebuking the Corinthian church for their divisions, for their carnality. And then he goes on to speak in contrasting the wisdom of God with the wisdom of men. And he does this God's way is through the cross. The message of the cross stands alone. And as Paul, as God's messenger, the apostle Paul will not allow anything to stand 
in the way of the gospel concerning our Savior. The gospel stands alone. You can't add to it. Indeed, I would say, if you were to attach any right or any work to the gospel of Christ, it becomes of non-effect. It makes a cross of non-effect. That's what Paul says. Lest the cross of Christ be made of non-effect. And this message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish, to the unbeliever. But it is the power of God to those who believe, as we have in verse 18. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, and to us who are saved, it's the power of God. And I'm telling you, it's, a, it's true. It's an effectual call by the Spirit of God to every man and every woman. It's an effectual thing. I don't care what the person is, what his background is, what he's been doing, his present condition. I would say this, when they come to God and accept his way of redemption, his way of salvation, his way into his family, which is through the cross of Christ, guaranteed by the resurrection from the dead. My friend, it's an effectual thing. Transform your life. In verses 19 to 21, we were closing with that in our last lesson. Uh, Worldly wisdom is nothing to God. The world by wisdom knew not God. We don't know God through philosophy or human reason. As I've oftentimes said, a God who was equal to reason is no God at all. We know him by revelation. God has revealed himself through his Son. And our Lord himself could say in Matthew 11, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and from the prudent, and you have revealed them unto babes. Even so it seemed good in thy sight. What for? that no flesh will glory in his presence. God is going to have all the glory and all the praise. No one's going to say to God, isn't it wonderful? Between Jesus Christ and me, I got here to heaven. I got here into your family. Oh, no. Oh, no. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. You say, well, I've done the best I can. What more does God expect me to do? My friend, let me repeat it. If you could save yourself or even help God to save yourself, there would be no need for Christ to come and die. It's because of the total helplessness of man. He's in sin. He's away from God. And God has made the provision. His mercy is for all. As you have in Romans 11, 32, God has concluded all in unbelief. What for? That he might have mercy upon all. His mercy is for all. It's offered to you as a free gift. As Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't work for gifts. You're thankful for gifts. So we thank the Lord day after day. We thank him continually for his wonderful grace, his wonderful love to men and women like you and me. Again, I'm going to repeat these things. It's not the speculation of men's minds. It's the cross. God has a right to say how he's going to save men. This is God's way. You can argue all you want to about it. This is God's way. And if you don't come God's way, my friend, then you belong those who perish. 
You see, no flesh is going to glory in his presence. If you could add one teeny little thing to the work of Christ, you ruin it. You ruin it. Did you hear me? If you add one thing to the work of Christ at the cross, you ruin the gospel, the good news. Now, from 22 to 25 in this passage, we have the offense of the cross. Notice it. Verse 22. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks, the Gentiles, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. Unto the Gentiles foolishness. Unto them which are called both Jews and Gentiles. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice, first of all, the preaching of the cross to the Jew is a stumbling block. If we preach Christ crucified to men and women, to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. You see, the Jews look for a glorious king, not a crucified Messiah. Is this our king? Do you remember Pilate said to the Jews, shall I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. We will not have this man to reign over us. We're looking for a glorified all-powerful Messiah who's going to reign over the ends of the earth when all the nations will be under his banner, when men will learn righteousness and the people of Israel, the nation Israel, will be the leading nation of the world. It's going to be the head instead of the tail as we find in Deuteronomy. They were not looking for a crucified Savior. They forgot 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They forgot the 69th Psalm. He was the song of the drunkards and so on. They gave, him, they gave him bitterness when he asked for a drink. They gave him vinegar mixed with myrrh. The 50th of Isaiah, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame or spitting, but he that standeth my will justify me. 52nd of Isaiah, second last verse. His face was marred more than any man's. Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report? Who can believe this report of a Messiah, suffering Messiah? Do you remember it? Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the revolve of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him all our iniquity. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 
That's why, put, that's why the writer of Hebrews said, he appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Chapter 10, verse 12, this man by one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. See, the Jews weren't a sign. It was a stumbling block. Is this our king? This man on the cross is Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God was with him on a cross, an accursed thing. Never, never. And yet, may I tell you, my friend, Christ crucified in weakness is more powerful than men. Remember that. And then he was an offense to the Gentiles. In verse 22, the Greeks seek after wisdom. Speaking of the Gentile world, especially the Greeks, they were the great philosophers, you remember, of the ancient days. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. Unto we who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. An offense to the wise philosophical Gentiles. Just you put yourself in their place. Was all the gods of the Gentiles, all the gods of the of the Greeks, do you remember when Paul went down to Athens in Acts 17? He found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He said, I perceive in all things you're too religious. I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God that ran out of names for their gods. Shall all the gods of the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentile world be replaced by one hanging on a cross? Be replaced by an outcast of these contemptible Jews? Why, it's composite foolishness. Were they so bad, so helpless, so sinful that they needed a crucified Savior? The cross was an offense. My friend, I tell you today in America, the cross of Christ is an offense. That's why Paul could say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Being a Jew nor a Gentile profits anything but a new creation. God demands a new creation. Thank God the patching days of the olds all over, all over. The cross is an offense to my philosophy. It's an offense to my religion. It's an offense to my morality. The cross says I'm absolutely no good. Do you remember Philippians chapter 2? He who was in the form of God thought it not a thing to be held onto or grasped after, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a slave and was found in fashion as a man and humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. The cross is a stigma. As Paul could say to the Galatian church, if I were to add one little rite of circumcision to the work of Christ, then Christ died in vain. Gospel's no good to the Gentiles. 
It's an offense today just as much as it was an offense to the Greeks of Paul's day and the Romans of Paul's day. Do you remember when Paul went on to Athens? I read there in Acts 17, he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And he ended up his message by saying, God commands all men everywhere to repent because God has set apart a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Listen, listen. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they some mocked and some scoffed, and some said, we'll hear thee again. And as far as I know, there was no church in Athens because the cross were to these philosophers and to these wise men of the day, nothing else but foolishness. It was an offense to their thinking. It was an offense to their reason. It was an offense to their morality. It was an offense to their gods. It was an offense to their philosophy. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. A stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Boy, we need this today. We need this today. I'm living in a generation that is humanistic in its philosophy, where men have made themselves their own gods. They will not take their place as lost sinners needing a savior. Well, Mitchell, I'm as good as you are. Is that what you're going to tell God? I'm as good as that preacher. I'm as good as that teacher. Huh? No, my friend, you'll stand before God with your mouth shut. And you'll be glad to get out of the presence of a living, holy, righteous God when you stand before him in your sin. That's why we were saying in the preceding verses, we must stand before God in holiness, in righteousness, in blameless, to be blameless before God. Otherwise, you can't stand. So I read this. Foolishness, a stumbling block, but unto us who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I'm reminded of two verses, by the way. Christ, the power of God. I'm thinking of, of Romans chapter 1, verse 4. If I may give you a literal rendering of that verse. And he marked Jesus Christ out from everybody else as the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He's the power of God. He's the only one who can take men and women like you and me and transform us, transform us. May I just inject this? We Christians, we who profess to love the Savior and believe in Him, may I tell you, my friend, 
What the world needs to see are transformed lives, and only God can do this. And Christ is the power of God to transform your life and make you a real testimony for the Savior. But he's not only the power of God for us, but he's the wisdom of God. I think of a verse like Colossians 2, 3. God hath hidden in Christ all his treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Huh? God has hidden in Christ Jesus all his treasures of wisdom and of knowledge because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men, which comes to the rest of the passage, 26, the end of the chapter. The wisdom of God is manifested in Christ Jesus. Look at what God chose. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. This is God's choice. This is God's choice. 26 to 28. Here you have the wisdom of God manifested in Christ. He chooses the foolish things instead of the wise, the weak instead of the mighty. You know, we wouldn't have done that. We would have chosen the wise. We would have chosen mighty men. We would have chosen heroes. And they would have had all the praise and all the glory. God says, oh, no. Oh, not for God. He's not going to choose men who can glory in his presence. No flesh, however brilliant, however knowledgeable, however wise, is going to stand in his presence. God hath chosen the weak things, the confounded things that are, because he wants all the glory. What is the wisdom of this world? Well, that with which the flesh clothes itself, Look at what God does. Who would choose fishermen? I've oftentimes thought of this. The Lord Jesus chose 12 men to accompany him the three and a half years of his ministry. And you know, 11 of them came from Galilee. Who were they? Commercial fishermen, tax gatherers, despised ones. There was only one of them from Judea, and that was Judas Iscariot. Not many wise men after the flesh. God takes the most unexpected people. I, I think of some of my co-laborers down through the years, men that I've had respect for, great servants of God. And you know, there were very, very few who came up with butter in their mouths, wise, philosophical, highly educated. And I'm not opposed to education. Please don't misunderstand me. But I tell you one thing, it's an amazing thing how God can pick up anybody. I'm reminded of dear old Moses. God said to Moses, what do you got in your hand? Do you remember Moses was trying to get out of his job? And God said, uh, what do you got in your hand? A rod. That's all God needs, a dried up old stick like you and me. 
Going to feed 5,000. What have we got? Just five loaves and two fishes, a lad's lunch. God can take you. Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew, what are these commercial fishermen? Matthew, a despised tax gatherer. God can take anybody who will put themselves in his hands. No, my friend, the foolishness of God is greater than more wise than the wisdom of men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see your calling. Not many wise men after the flesh. Look at your prophets. Herdsmen. Goat herdsmen. You name it. God can take anybody. Why? Because God is going to get all the glory. This is God's choice, by the way. God chooses the foolish instead of the wise, the weak instead of the mighty. I'm reminded of a, of a lady who belonged to the nobility in England. And she said she was saved on one little word, one little letter, M. She said, I'm so glad Paul didn't write, not any noble, but not many noble. That let me in. Our friend, whether you're wise or ignorant, whoever you are, I want to tell you that God has made provision for you and for me to glorify him in all that we are and all that we do. May the Lord bless you today. I haven't finished this chapter. I want you to read it over and over again as we see the contrast between the wisdom of this world, the philosophy, the humanism, the materialism of this world, contrast to the wisdom of God demonstrated at the cross. That's the only place where you can be saved now the Lord bless you for his precious namesake. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.